0: Welcome, ladies. Welcome to Women in the Word. I'm Shelley Davis. I am part of the Women in the Word teaching team. I'm excited to be here with each of you today. And I want to shout out a welcome to our West Campus who joins us every single week from Parker County. We are glad that together we can study the Word of God, whether we're in Fort Worth or Parker County. You know, we're going to be talking about life change this morning. And you know, throughout life, we all go through a lot of changes, don't we? Particularly if we're uh, women. From puberty to menopause, there's a lot of things that go on in between there. Sometimes it's our gender that dictates life change. Sometimes it's simply our choices that dictate life change, isn't it? We take a new job and we move. We get married, we become a part of a couple. Maybe we have a baby or two and we're someone's mom. Sometimes it's the culture that brings life change into our um, lives. It either leads us or deceives us into making changes in our lives by telling us what we should look like or even what values we should hold. Sometimes that brings life change. A famous example of that has been in the news for the last year. Bruce Jenner's most famous picture used to be standing on the podium at the 1976 Summer Olympics, receiving the gold medal in the men's decathlon. Now, Bruce Jenner's most famous picture is on the cover of Vanity Fair magazine, um, saying he's a woman named Caitlin. The culture and what I think is probably his unstable mental health have brought a dramatic life change to Bruce Jenner. You know, Paul has a dramatic life change in his uh, life too. It's not brought on by unstable mental health or the culture. His life change is the stunning, stunning result of divine. ...intervention and revelation in his life. So I hope you have your Bibles open to Galatians... ...because we are going to continue on in Paul's great letter to his friends in the churches at Galatia. And we are going to read together beginning in chapter 1, verse 11. "'For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel.' For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born. And who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. In order that I might Preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now, if you were here last spring when we studied Acts together, you probably know a lot about Paul's life from Acts because it's filled with Paul's life. Paul's life is a familiar story. He was a Pharisee in the Jewish faith. And he tells us here in verse 14 that not only was he a Pharisee, he was a zealous Pharisee. Zealous Pharisee, and he had one goal in life, and his goal in life was to hunt down and persecute and even execute those who had begun to follow Jesus after his death, burial, and resurrection. It was Paul's life mission. But one day on the road to Damascus, and he was going to Damascus to do exactly that, to hunt down those who were followers of Jesus. He had a life-changing experience that came from God himself. It was a divine encounter. Look at your verse sheet, Acts 9 on your verse sheet. And it says, But Saul, which was Paul's Jewish name, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what to do. So right here in the letter to Galatians verses 11 and 12, what Paul is doing is looking back to that Damascus road experience and what happened there. And he's reminding his friends in Galatia that the gospel that he shared with them on his first missionary journey did not come from him. It didn't originate with man and he was not taught it by someone else. He wasn't sitting in the temple one day and heard someone else uh, speak about the gospel message. The gospel message that changed his life, the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone was given to him in a divine revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul's encounter on the road to Damascus did an incredible thing in his life. It changed him from a persecutor of the church... ...to a preacher to the Gentiles. What a life change. From the east to the west, his life changes. Now, Paul had been completely blinded before that day on the road to Damascus... ...to the truth of who Jesus was. He was blinded to the fact that Jesus was really God's son. That he had come um, and died for the sins of the world. So God, in his sovereignty, unblinds Paul that day on the road to Damascus... And Paul's whole world, his whole mission in life, his whole purpose in life is changed by that one meeting. That one meeting. This was God's plan for Paul's life. It wasn't Paul's plan for Paul's life. Look at Acts 9 with me again. Verse 15 on your verse sheet. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. That's Paul's new life mission, to carry the Lord's name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Now, Paul is not simply a self-absorbed guy here. He wants the Galatians to know how important he is and how God came straight to him and revealed uh, his mission to him. His point to the Galatians in telling his life story to them is to firmly establish his credentials as an apostle. If you were here last week, you heard Deb talk about that the word apostle means one who is sent with a message. And there were originally 11 men that went out and... uh, from Jesus as an apostle they added one after Judas became a traitor and then there were 12 apostles again they received their calling and commissioning straight from Jesus himself before he ascended to the father Paul has that same privilege right here he has been called and commissioned directly from Jesus to take the gospel to the Gentiles from him Since Paul left the Galatians and shared with them the true gospel message, they've come under the influence of false teachers. We heard that last week from Deb also. And we don't know who these false teachers were. They could have been Jewish Christians who were so steeped in a lifetime of Jewish traditions that they just couldn't let them go. And they were imposing on the new Gentile converts in Galatia uh, the fact that they had to convert to Judaism first. So that could have been the false teachers or it could have been just uh, Jewish um, disruptors uh, that did not want this new faith in Jesus to succeed. So they were attempting to convert all of them to Judaism. These false teachers wanted the Gentile Christians in Galatia to add the law to their faith in Christ. They wanted them to add food rules. They wanted them to add circumcision to the finished work that Jesus did on the cross. Now because of that has been happening with the Galatians, Paul's simple point here is that he has real authority as a real apostle He's establishing that right here to the Galatians in his letter. His life has been changed. His life change didn't originate with himself or with anyone else. It originated with God. He adds to his substance as standing as an apostle to point out he didn't go to Jerusalem after he met Jesus. He couldn't have picked this up because he ran straight to Peter, James, and John and said, Tell me what you think about this. I need to know. I need more information. Now, for three years he stayed away from Jerusalem. He went to Arabia and Damascus. And when he did finally go to Jerusalem three years later, it was simply for a personal visit so he could get to know Peter Paul's message to the Galatians as we finish up chapter 1 is, Listen to my story because it proves I have authority from God as an apostle to confront the false teaching that has infiltrated your new life change. You know, there's always great lessons for us in the scriptures uh, also. And as we read Paul's words here today where he is laying out how his story of life change gives him authority... Our lesson is our story gives us authority too. And we need to be prepared just like Paul is to tell our story. Paul's story of life change is pretty dramatic. From Pharisee to apostle. And God has a purpose for that dramatic story. He's using it right here to confront the false false teaching. Our Our stories also give us the authority. The authority to tell the truth of who God is... And how he has changed our lives. We all have that kind of story. If we have met Jesus at one time or another. And when we tell our stories with the authority that they bring. Uh, because of our faith in Christ. It offers others life change also. Look at Matthew 28:19 on your verse sheet. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. You know, none of our stories may be as dramatic as Paul's. But what they all are is dramatic tools in the hand of God. They are dramatic tools in the hand of God. So we need to be prepared to share them as we fulfill this commission and calling that Jesus gave each one of us in Matthew 28. If you haven't already done so, and I think many of you may have if you've been a part of a small group, I'd encourage all of us to go home and just write out our simple story of how we met Jesus in a hundred words or less. And then pray about who God wants us to share that with. So that their lives can be changed as well. All of us are called and commissioned to tell our stories of how we encountered the gospel. Because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. And that's the power we can give to other people so that their life will change also. Now, if you're sitting here today and you think I don't have a story, what in the world is that woman talking about? Um, don't leave today. Come down front. Let's see if you have a story. And if not, uh, we're going to talk about uh, uh, how Jesus can change your life as well. Okay, let's read. Continue reading in Paul's letter. Um, let's read verse one of chapter two. Then after. That we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Now the book of Acts records five different visits that Paul made to Jerusalem. This is probably the second visit. It may have been in response to the fact that they had heard that there was a famine in Judea. And he and Barnabas went up to Jerusalem as a result of hearing about the famine. Um, But what we do know is that Paul was not summoned by the... Um, church authorities in Jerusalem he wasn't being called on the carpet they weren't wanting him to come to consult with them but while he's there he takes the initiative and actually seeks them out and does take the opportunity to talk privately with the apostles that's who he's talking about in verse 2 when he says those who seemed influential he wants to communicate with them about the gospel he's preaching to the Gentiles because he wants them all on the same page when it comes to the gospel message uh He's trying to head off any opportunity that the false teachers might have to uh, undo his ministry to the Gentiles by insisting that they add the law to the work of Christ that they've already accepted as true. Paul also wants to make sure that uh, the Gentile converts are 100% accepted as true Christians as they enjoy their freedom and that the church in Jerusalem doesn't have any opportunity to turn Gentile converts away. If Peter, James, and John did not recognize Paul's ministry and the gospel message he was preaching to the Gentiles as equal to the gospel message and the ministry that they had to the Jews. It could have resulted in a split in Christianity right here at the beginning of the church in the first century. It could have become right here if they hadn't agreed that the gospel message was the one true gospel message and they were both preaching it. It could have become a branch of Christianity that was Jewish Christians that held to the law and to their faith in Christ. And then there could have been a Gentile branch of Christianity that simply held to salvation by grace through faith alone. The course of the history of the church is what really stands in balance here as Paul goes to Jerusalem. He addresses that um, in verse 2 when he says he spoke privately with them to make sure He was not running in vain or had not run in vain. Paul's motive in talking to the apostles in Jerusalem to make sure they're on the same page. Is to unite the church behind the one true gospel message. And along that line of uniting the church and making sure they're all on the same page, Paul does something pretty interesting here. Barnabas is with him. Now, Barnabas is a Jewish Christian, well known to the Galatians because he was with Paul on his first missionary journey. But he brings Titus with him. Now, Titus is a Gentile Christian, he's a Greek, he's uncircumcised. And Paul takes him right into the church at Jerusalem with the original apostles. Probably he wants to see if they're going to say, Oh, great, you brought Titus. Now, if he'll just be circumcised, he can be saved and be part of the church. Titus was a test case, more than likely. Fortunately, no one pushed circumcision on Titus. And so Paul is able to write to the Galatians here that very truth in his letter. He says, uh, hey, no one forced Titus to be circumcised in verse 3. And that is an important part of the message Paul is sending to the Galatians. I think he probably underlined it and highlighted it and starred it. Because that's what the false teachers are saying to them. You're not saved just by Jesus' work on the cross, you have to add circumcision along with it. The battle cry of false teachers can be seen in Acts 15.1. Look on your verse sheet. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. But Paul has a battle cry of his own. He's not having any of this battle cry of the false teachers. And Paul's battle cry is Christianity is not Judaism 2.0. We are not just taking Judaism here to the next step. He's standing firm on what he calls the truth of the gospel. And his intent is to preserve that truth at all costs. And the truth of the gospel that Paul knows and stands on and fights to preserve here is salvation by grace alone through faith in Christ alone. Not salvation by grace through faith plus the law. Paul makes that clear when he writes to the Ephesians, which we're going to look at in a few weeks. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is never about our own works, the pillar of salvation is always by grace through faith. Now Paul closes his thoughts in this section of his letter to Galatians by letting the Galatians know, hey, the great apostles, the original apostles, Peter, James, and John accepted my apostleship. That's what Paul means when he says in verse 9, they perceived the grace that was given to him. They totally believe with all their hearts that Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and that he has received his message of salvation uh, from Jesus. They affirm that. They don't seek to change his message or his ministry because they agree with it. So they simply extend fellowship to him. And they sent he and Barnabas back to the Gentiles while they remain with the Jews. These men are united together as apostles. With one true gospel message to both the Gentile converts and the Jewish converts. Through faith in Christ by grace alone. Now... As I said earlier, there's always a lesson for us in scriptures, and I think this is a great lesson for us today because what it says for us is that it's equally important for us today to be united with other believers um, throughout the world, um, proclaiming one message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. You know, cultures around the world are so different, and churches in these cultures are often worship in different ways. I've had the privilege of being in some great churches in Africa and in the Ukraine and in England, in Trinidad, and El Salvador. They, every worship service was different. The music was different. Of course, the language was different. Some of the churches were quiet and subdued and some were rowdy and dancing down the aisles in some of the um, African churches. And that's Okay. As long as we come together on one thing. And that is the true message of salvation. The one true gospel. Salvation by grace alone through faith alone. We can differ in music. Even here um, in the city of Fort Worth. We can differ in when we have communion. We can differ in how long the sermon is that we preach but we must unite and stand firm just like Paul and these apostles are doing to preserve the gospel. Because it's only by the one true gospel that life change really happens. Uh, nothing else. Nothing else. Um, there's a great story in the book of Acts. We're not going to turn to it because of time. It's, uh, I believe it's Acts 1630. And it's the jailer that has been with Paul in prison. And he simply says to Paul... What does it take to be saved? And Paul's answer is so simple. He says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And that's the one true gospel message all believers around the world should stand on. Okay, let's keep reading. Let's look at verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles To live like a Jew. You know, there are two types of people in the world. Avoiders and confronters. There's nothing in Paul that says he's an avoider. He is a confronter all the way through. And that's what he does here. He confronts Peter immediately. He goes right after him. And now he even shares that confrontation in his letter to the Galatians. You know, Peter's been having a great visit in Antioch. He has been enjoying his freedom in Christ. Peter definitely is a man... Who has experienced life change because he was steeped in Jewish tradition, in Jewish food regulations. But he no longer has to uh, adhere to those Jewish dietary laws. And now he can enjoy fellowship with the Gentile converts. He's been eating and fellowshipping with the Jews and the Gentiles. And what a change that is in Peter's life. And it's also a great example of the unity that freedom through the true gospel brings to all believers. We can fellowship together when we unite on the true gospel. So all is good. And then some men arrive from the church in Jerusalem and they're shocked at Peter's freedom. They're shocked at what Peter's doing. So Peter, who's ever the fearful people pleaser... um, What does he do? He does not do what Paul does and stand firm on the one true gospel. Peter immediately um, sticks out his hands and says, Take me back into slavery. I'll go back to the law. Just put those handcuffs of the law back on me. Uh, He goes right back into slavery to the law. And he separates himself from the Gentile Christians. What's so strange about it is in Acts chapter 11, we have Peter championing um, courageously the Gentile conversion of the Gentiles that gave them the freedom that he had been experiencing with them. Look at Acts 11 on your verse sheet and this is peter starting out talking he says if then god gave them meaning the gentiles the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the lord jesus who was i that who was who was i that i could stand in god's way and when they heard these things they fell silent And they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. I mean, Peter is championing the Gentiles here in Acts chapter 11. But now he has a memory lapse that's brought on by fear in the presence of those who have not embraced the freedom that we have through the gospel. With Peter's defection back into slavery to the law... Those around him begin to defect too. And even Barnabas, who has spent years teaching and preaching um, salvation by grace alone to, through faith alone to the Gentiles, even Barnabas goes back into slavery to the law with him. Now, Peter's transgression is a public one. People see it and he does it very publicly. So Paul rebukes him publicly in Antioch, which is kind of unusual in the scriptures. He rebukes him publicly in Antioch and then he keeps that rebuke public because he writes it to the Galatians here. In verse 14, he says to him, Peter, if you're a Jew, but you've been living like a Gentile and not like a Jew... Can you expect the Gentiles who have never been Jews to now start living like a Jew? You know, Paul recognizes Peter is a huge danger here. He's probably even a bigger danger than the false teachers that the Galatians have been facing because he's an apostle. He was with Jesus. Everyone knows that. He has a standing in the church that is heads above all others. So, what Peter does holds a great deal of weight. Peter's life had changed from that of a Jewish man under the law to an apostle of Christ. He's a Christian set free. So Paul, ever the confronter, is not going to stand by and let Even Peter jeopardized the freedom that the Gentiles have. He's not going to let Peter take himself or anyone else back into slavery. Look at what Paul writes in Galatians 5.1. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And here's the lesson for us today, ladies. What it means in our lives is we have to confront legalism in our own lives and in the lives of others that are around us. And the reason is not because we just want to be the boss or because we like confronting people. The reason is it leads people away from the true gospel. It leads them into thinking that rules and regulations are what gives people salvation. And we know that's not true. When I was a little girl, I remember my mother telling me a story... When I asked her about going to church, and she told me that when she was a little girl, she was probably just six or seven at the time. Her parents were not regular churchgoers. Her dad worked on the my grandfather worked on the railroad he was gone frequently and so when a friend a neighbor child that she played with all the time invited her to go to church with her, she was excited. She had a new dress she knew that her friend dressed up every Sunday, and her friend sang songs that Um, she knew she had learned at church and so my mom went with great excitement to that friend's church that morning and i think all was going well until the sunday school teacher set her down and asked her do your parents dance and play cards and my mother thought Man, I got the right answer here. Yeah, my parents dance and play cards because when my dad comes home from the railroad and he's been gone, he and my mom turn on the radio um, and it was in the uh, early 40s and they would jitterbug in the kitchen uh, together. And then when my grandparents come over, they play pinochle together. So yeah, my parents dance and play cards. The Sunday school teacher promptly told her in a pretty graphic way that her parents were going to hell and that if she continued uh, to think that dancing and playing cards was okay, she would probably go to hell too. Now this traumatized this six-year-old so badly that she didn't want to attend church for many, many years after that. My mom died when I was a young teenager. And we never had a lot of spiritual conversation. So I have no idea whether she was a believer when she died suddenly one day. But you know what I do know? That if this woman had had a conversation with that six-year-old about the true gospel of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, her life might have been different. And certainly her eternal future could have been different John 10:9 It's not on your verse sheet but I'm going to read it to you. John 10:9 says, "This is Jesus. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture." Our goal is to confront legalism so people can find the door that is Jesus Christ because it's legalism that nails that door firmly shut. Okay, let's finish. Let's look at um, verse 15 together. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one can be justified. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law then Christ died for no purpose. You know, Paul may still be rebuking Peter here when he starts out in verse uh, 15 and he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And these words point out what the culture in Paul and Peter's day thought. The culture in their day, the Jewish uh uh, people in their estimation of Jews, Gentiles were sinners because they did not observe the law, and without the law, they had absolutely no opportunity, no hope of righteousness or the moral perfection that a holy God demands. Now verse 16 is probably one of the most important verses in Paul's letter to the Galatians. And it introduces the word justified for the very first time. We're going to see a lot of it in the next couple of weeks. But here we see it for the first time. Justification is actually a legal term that's borrowed from the courts. And it means to declare righteous. To declare righteous. Paul tells the Galatians and Peter here that works of the law are never going to declare anyone righteous. And he says it three times in one verse. So we know he wants to emphasize it. But he also shares in verse 16 what does make us righteous. There is a way to be justified and that is by faith in Christ. Now, faith is the instrument that brings justification into our lives, that allows God to grant us justification. First, we are saved by faith, and then our gracious God justifies us as a result of it. Now, justification by faith is a significant doctrine in Christianity, so we're going to talk about it just for a minute so that we understand it. Uh, Justification by faith actually has two parts. And the first part of justification by faith is the forgiveness of sins. Now if I had an old school blackboard up here with me behind the stage. And I could roll it out. It would take more than one. If they had my name on the top of it. And it listed all my sins on these blackboards. We could roll them all out here. Justification by faith means that. God, in his graciousness, has erased all those sins. He's erased all of those sins. Um, But forgiveness of sins and having my sins erased is only half of it. Oh, and look at Ephesians 1-7 on your verse sheet. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The forgiveness of our trespasses is half of justification by faith. Because righteousness that we're given through justification is about moral perfection. It's moral perfection. If my sins are forgiven, I'm only morally neutral. Look up at the slide. Douglas, would you put that slide up for me? There's my sin in one circle. When I'm forgiven, my circle is blank. I'm morally neutral. So that brings us to the second half of justification by faith. The second part is that God brings all those blank blackboards out back again. And he puts my name on them. But this time he writes the moral perfection of Jesus on every blackboard that has my name on it. He Excuse me. He gives us the moral perfection of righteous or righteousness of Christ to me. Douglas, show me the second slide. There we go. My blank circle now is the righteousness of Christ. And that has been given to me by my faith in Christ. Look at Isaiah 61 on your verse sheet. It says I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul shall exalt in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as the bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself With jewels. When we are justified by faith in Christ, God not only forgives our sins, but He majestically adorns us with the righteousness of Christ so that we are like a bride wearing her jewels. My favorite definition of justification by faith or explanation, I've printed down at the bottom of your outline so you don't have to try to write it down. It's from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. And he says, It's the instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and declares us righteous in his sight. What an incredible life change that is for all of us when we understand that we have been justified by our faith in Christ. And you would think that is a bargain that no one would turn down. Why would you go for justification by works, having to sweat and slave to be perfect, when we can have justification by faith? Unfortunately... Paul has some false teachers that are arguing with him over that. In verses 17 and 18, he addresses them. They argue that, whoa, justification by faith is only going to bring people into sin. If you just tell people that they have the righteousness of Christ, then they have freedom to go out and do everything they want to. They don't have to earn it anymore, so they are going to take advantage of it. Well, Paul, our confronter, um, this, not agree with that and he says hogwash nonsense you can't argue that justification by faith in Christ will lead you into sin when the alternative is going back to the law which we know no one will ever be able to keep and that simply proves that you're a sinner that simply proves that you are a sinner. It's a crazy, nonsensical argument on behalf of Paul's uh, false teachers against justification by faith. Grace does not lead us into sin. The law proves that we are sinners. You know, Paul continues to uh, confront the false teachers right here to the very end, but he does it in first 20 in a different way. What he does is he passionately declares that he has a changed life. He says um, he has a new identity. He has been crucified with Christ. The Paul that he was no longer lives. The Pharisee that he was does not exist. The past that he had is no more. If Paul had a passport for all the travels that Paul had done throughout his missionary journeys, if Paul had a passport and he had to flip it up at the border to see, uh, to get into those different countries like we had to do, who do you think the picture would be in Paul's passport? As far as Paul's concerned, the picture on his life forevermore is that of Jesus. He has a new identity, he looks like Christ passed. Present and future, and nobody is going to convince him of anything else. Justification by faith gives him the credentials of Christ, it gives him the heart of Christ, it gives him the desire to live life like Christ. Paul is not only justified by faith and has the moral perfection and righteousness of Christ, he's living every day like Christ. Christ out of faith. John Calvin described Paul's feelings when he said, It is faith alone that justifies, but the faith that justifies is not alone. Paul knew that because Paul was constantly in the presence of Christ, whose picture is on his passport. He closes with verse 21 with another confrontation. Actually, He's defending himself one more time because he's been accused of setting aside the grace of God. And he says, it's not me that's done that. It's Peter and it's the Galatians who've set aside God's grace when they put themselves needlessly under the law. Whenever we go back in slavery to legalism, we are the ones that are setting aside God's grace because... And he finishes this chapter with an interesting statement. If God had intended us to work for our righteousness by observing the law, then death, Jesus' death on the cross, was not only pointless, it was the biggest mistake in the history of the world. The biggest mistake in the history of the world. Now fortunately for us today, we do know that Jesus' death on the cross was not pointless. It was not the biggest mistake in the history of the world. We know that just like Paul, we are justified by our faith, not by our works. And our message, as we finish chapter 2, has to be rejoice. It can't be anything else but rejoice. Because you know what's on our passport Our passport has a picture of Jesus also. That's who we are. We have been given the freedom and the righteousness of Christ through our faith in Christ. We have life change that can never be taken away from us. We are uh, equal to Christ and that's who's on our ID. We have all experienced a life change that was by grace alone through faith alone. Look at Romans eight thirty one on your verse sheet. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you um, are a powerful God. But you are such a loving God. Your mercy and grace is all over our lives. We thank you for the fact that we have been justified by faith, not by works. That our lives have been changed forever. Um, we have Christ's picture on our ID also. That is our new identity. Father I pray that as women. We will leave here today. We will contemplate and thank on the truth. Of how you have changed our lives. And we will willingly. Um, share the one true gospel. With everyone that we meet. Thank you Lord for this time together. And for these women. I am asking your favor on them. And on their study of the word of God. And I pray this in the name of your son. Our savior Jesus Christ. Amen.